Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Okay, folks, I'm a marketer, not a salesperson, and I admire people for whom sales seems to come naturally, although it probably doesn't. Today's guest is someone who, without a background in life science, decides he's going to make a living selling lab equipment. I learned a ton in this conversation, and whether you are in marketing or sales, I promise you will too. So pay attention, class is in session. Lee Lowenstein is the president of Stellar Scientific. Lee, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thank you, Chris. Happy to be here. So we're going to talk about your path to founding this company. I'm fascinated by people who aren't, you know, from the sciences specifically. I love having those people come into marketing, but I'm fascinated by someone like you who says, I want to sell lab equipment. Like, how does that happen? So give us, for background, your a little context around how you got to where you are. Sure. Absolutely. Well, uh, people might find it surprising. Actually, my background is uh, Jewish education. Um, I spent over 20 years um, as an ordained Orthodox rabbi, uh, growing through the ranks, starting as a high school teacher, classroom teacher, uh, community outreach. I had a stint at, at a synagogue for a period of time. Um, I think my, my real hope had always been to become a, a pulpit rabbi um, and wound up staying in on the education track, getting a master's degree from Barry University in ed leadership. Um, working on a second master's in, in counseling to, uh, to kind of round off those pastoral skills um, and then move to Baltimore into this region to become a principal of an all-girls high school back in uh, 2001. Um, and so I definitely take the non-traditional path towards life sciences. I think you can get, in some ways, you can't get farther from that, but... Um, but in many ways, you know, there's a, there's a lot of similarities in between. I'd, I'd say those those who are in the spiritual pursuits or religious pursuits, and those who are pursuing science, you know, we both tend to have a very healthy uh, disregard for authority. Um, we like to push, uh, you know, we like to look at the world and and see the world a different way, you know, as my upbringing was was more like trying to figure out the the why of the world, and scientists are all trying about, about figuring out the how of the world, and pushing boundaries and, and needling people with questions and not settling for the status quo. Um, but um, it have a large family, thank God, seven children, wife and seven children, and kind of woke up one day and said, you know, um, this this path is, is has been wonderful for me, and I've enjoyed. Uh, impacting other people's lives, but I am not making a living. And it was um, it was time to look for something else. Uh, and so, kind of got into the life sciences. Uh, I'm sure you have another question about that, but I'm happy to answer. To, to yeah, answer like, like how'd you get to how'd you, how'd you make that jump? Right. Yeah. I mean, well, making a living that's that's a perfectly good reason. Then the question is like, what made you look around and go, like, you know, many, many options. Sure. But sure. you're going to sell lab equipment, which would be sort of like me saying, I'm going to go sell surfboards. Right. <laughs> so 
This so there was a progression. There was a there was a progression. When I I left um, education in two thousand and four, the high school closed um, due to, due to so so I would I would put nowadays marketing challenges, um, just the inability to attract enough of the right kind of student to keep the high school going, um, and I went into nonprofit work. So I was. I began to learn how to. Def the irony is that I'd had this the the um, fundraising skills that I developed post uh, my involvement in education. It's possible that the that the high school would have would have lasted. But I went into fundraising for a nonprofit for uh, seven years, um, and then moved from that into business consulting. Worked for a friend of mine who was a business consultant, um, and then none of those were really. Answering the, the, the bigger question, the, big, the, the bigger needs, the bigger challenges of starting over again and again was was kind of becoming a little a little frightening, a little a little scary for me. Um, and I, my brother had always said, you know, seeing that um, anti-authoritarian uh, anti-authority streak, she always said, you know, you're going to do best in life when you can work for yourself. Um, and so I had an opportunity. I don't want to bore your your readers. It's a long story, but an opportunity to join partners with a with, with a friend of mine and and do something really different for me. Um, science was always you know an interest of mine back before the rabbinic track, um, and um, I mean I guess I can I can back up and say before getting involved in, in a rabbinic path, I actually was enrolled in a, after twelfth grade. I was enrolled into a pre med program at Brandeis University, and I took off for a year to go study my Jewish roots in a yeshiva, in a rabbinic school in Israel. It was supposed to be one year, but I got very excited by what I discovered. I realized that I have talents and the ability to communicate to, to people in other ways. And you don't have to be a doctor, a nice Jewish doctor, to have an impact on the world. And so I, I took a detour. But science had always been an interest. So I reached out. When life was, was, was handing me all these messages that this is just not working for me, I reached out to a friend of mine who's a business consultant, and he said, look, you are right there in, in you know, ground central for, for um, ground zero for, for so much science. There's the, the NIH, there's the NCI, there's the I-270 corridor. You literally have Johns Hopkins University of Maryland in your, back, in your backyard. You have to look and take those, those transition, those selling skills that you've developed in the nonprofit world and see if you can find some kind of opportunity. So I got involved in a company that was engaged in, in a very similar business to what Stellar Scientific offers, which is, you know, a, I would call us, we're, we're a boutique um, lab services or lab, lab equipment and, and supplies dealer. We don't want to be everything to everybody. We want to be really good and, and really knowledgeable at a, at a small catalog of things rather than not knowledgeable at a large catalog. So I was working for a company similar to that, and I actually fell in love with the, um, the altruism, the devotion, the excitement that I was seeing hanging out with postdocs and master's level students and just getting integrated with, you know, into their world and finding that there were so many similarities to what it was like being a young rabbinic student and you know, wanting to change the world, wanting to uh, push the boundaries of, uh, of mankind's knowledge wanting to you know, have a deeper understanding of what's behind the mask. And I just, I just felt such a camaraderie with, with, with people in life sciences. And so um, I had been working for, for another company and just feeling like I can do better. I can do better than this. 
these people deserve better. Um, they deserve to be treated like like royalty. And the opportunity presented itself to join join hands with a partner and jump in with both feet. And I did. I'm, and I'm so grateful. I have not regretted that decision. Yeah, I mean that. I love that story. I mean that's going to be probably the nugget of this whole episode that your, you know, admiration of these people working and, and, you know, relating to them in a similar way to what you experienced. Um, so it must be, I'm curious about starting out in this new business. Obviously you had those selling skills from fundraising, which is another thing I'm fascinated about because that's a whole different kind of, I mean, to me, it's a whole different kind of selling. I've talked to some people who do that in the long-term relationship building and, and right. so on that it takes to get people to give money to a nonprofit. Um, but as you say, you know, that's all about relationships and now you're building those with people in labs and starting out as a small company. I think this is the thing that will hopefully be helpful to other people looking to do similar things. You go into a lab and you're not one of the big names and they wonder, are you going to stick around? I mean, if I buy stuff from you, sure. Is it going to, so how do you overcome? Sure. That's a, that's a great question. So you, you, you select uh, brand name products to sell where you're, you're riding on, on the brand name coattails initially. It's definitely a legitimate fear. But when you sell a, a, a centrifuge brand or an incubator brand that people have heard of already, so then you really, as long as they know that that company isn't going under, you know, you're, you're just the, the, today's pretty face that walked in and presented it to them. So in a certain sense, you are like with all sales, you are selling yourself. You're trying to, you know, help them uh, overcome their concern or their, the obstacle to choosing you as opposed to choosing somebody else. Um, where you're selling items that they may not be familiar with, you have, to, you, you, you have to be willing to demo, 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 demo until the person is comfortable. Um, and then you have to be, um, you, you do have to ask them to take a little bit of a leap of faith. Um, and, um, and what I found about people in the life science, even though leaps of faith may not be something that they're uh, deeply comfortable with, but they do have a faith, they, they do have a lot of a belief in humanity. And they do believe, that they do like the underdog story. And they do resonate with people. You know, everybody knows who the 800-pound gorillas are in, in the life science industry. And I think chutzpah, we can use the Jewish word, you know, the courage or the audacity of somebody coming in front of them and saying, hey, I can help you and I can help you better than anybody else. I think it's a pretty intriguing a compelling story for them and they're willing to give you a shot and they'll try maybe the, the, the low risk items, you know, like, okay, so if you're not there tomorrow, what's the, you know, okay. You know, like at the end of my, my science, uh, but it, it definitely took years for us to build up confidence in certain things where uh, cell culture items that person said, you know, once I've already gotten my SOPs going, I need to know that I can count on you for that or QPCR reagents and things of that nature. Definitely takes time for a person to see you again and again, and you're here this next year and again and again and again. But um, 
but definitely what was so impressive about the, about the, the people in the, in the laboratories was their faith in humanity and their, you know, their willingness to give somebody a shot. And uh, those, yeah, that, that open the doors, make things possible. Yeah, I'm thinking about, um, you know, if, if you're selling a centrifuge or a incubator, those are all made by presumably large, well-known companies. And then the question for them is, why buy it from you when I could buy it from someone else? But the risk from you is lowered a little bit because they know, all right, someone's going to be able to fix this thing, right? But they're also maybe thinking, and this might be your secret sauce, I'm going to have better access to Lee when I need more help than I might from some a right. larger company, right? Right. Well, that's really great because it gets to an interesting uh, disagreement that my partner Ken and I have. I have a 50% owner of Stellar Scientific. Ken Golub is my, is my uh, partner in crime. Um, and he's a, he is the most wonderful friend anybody could ever ask for, a loyal friend. And um, for people who are debating about, you know, the, between solopreneurship and partnership, you know, having, having a partnership allows, it just allows, has allowed each of us to excel in this, the areas in, in growing the business in which we, we thrived in, in most. So, um, and, it, and it could be a whole topic of another conversation about the, the benefits yeah. of partners. Um, so, but, but what, what we, one of the debates we had was when I started to go out and I was the one knocking on doors, meeting people in the laboratories, should my business cards say I'm a technical sales specialist or should I call myself my title president of the company? You know, we were concerned that people are going to, you know, if I'm a technical sales specialist, then people have this idea, oh, Stellar Scientific, I haven't heard of you guys. How long have you been around for? Like four days, you know, or it doesn't <laughs> give them, it doesn't give that impression that the, the order that you're, you're, you're giving me now, you know, at three in the afternoon, Ken's going to my basement to pack that order up and drop it off at the UPS store, which is how we started the business. Um so, you know, technical sales specialist sounds like I'm just one of 50 people on the team and just you just haven't heard of us because, you know, it's your issue, not our problem. But president, like, makes it sound like we're really small. But at the same token, so especially people who are in the laboratories who have, have had to overcome their own obstacles to come into this country to work, they would look at the business card and they would say, you're the president? You mean... You started this company on your own, and that would be a great conversation starter. And all of a sudden, like, I could see them stand up a little taller. Like, I have to show respect for somebody who's crazy enough to start his own life science mm -hmm. business. But to your point, it, you know, I, it was it allowed me to say to people, you know, you're asking me for uh, a better price. Uh, or you're, you're asking me, how do I know that if I have a problem, you're going to be there for me? Well, if the president of the company comes out to meet you face to face. I don't have to ask daddy for permission to cut you deals, right? And I have to go back to my sales manager. And if I'm, if I'm giving you my word and, and I believe that my sincerity came across to people, um, I, 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 people that lowered their resistance. And I think when you look for a secret sauce, I think honesty and, and, and sincerity have always been one of the driving factors. I think it's something that you cannot hide you can't make it up and people just connect to you on a, on, on a personal level and they're willing to, they're willing to overlook the, you know, the, those other concerns. Hi, this is Chris. I'm going to jump in here since we're talking about helping people do their jobs. 
If you're new to the podcast or longtime listener and you've ever wondered, how does Chris earn a living from this? I'll tell you. Life Science Marketing Radio is more than a podcast. It's a custom content studio where I help life science companies tell their stories largely through interviews just like this one. A podcast isn't the end product. It's the starting point for a bundle of content that you can use on your web and social channels. After a few hundred interviews, I found that your deepest insights are your best branding. If you want to know more, there's a link in the show notes. Now, let's get back to my conversation with Lee J. Lowenstein. I love that attitude. It's also just an interesting debate. You know, you put scientific support specialists on there, and this goes to our my next question. Like, now the level of scientific understanding that they are projecting into your head goes way up, right? Yep. So it's a little bit, yep. maybe that's risky. And then you say, oh, president, all right, I'm going to be here. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. So you ask someone, if you go in, you told me this, you would always ask people, what would make your life easier? And then they give you an answer. I'm curious, is there ever a time when they answer and you go, I have no idea what you're talking about. What, oh what do I do next? Oh my God. And how do you figure yeah. that out? Yeah. So if it was, a, you know, if it was service related so that, you know, we, we led with service, we led with the relationship um, and we, we had to just confess our ignorance over, I did over and over again. Um, I couldn't tell, I didn't know anything. I, I just knew that, I just knew with absolute certainty that if you would trust me, I would deliver on my promise to you and I would take better care of you than anybody else could. I still believe it that day and anybody that comes to the company has to share that same level of passion. Um, but a funny story, I mean, like I'll tell you how, how completely ignorant I was. I, we sell these uh, horizontal gel boxes for DNA, you know, for running, uh, running DNA gels. And I remember being over at one building at Johns Hopkins and somebody, you know, like just giving me the, the run around. Okay, well, you know, Next time you're on campus, if you show me, bring it, bring one to me to look at, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you'll, you'll convince me that it has all the features that I want. And I remembered that somebody in another building had one just like it that they must have bought from somebody else. And I ran over and I spoke to the lab manager. I said, do you mind if I borrow this for like 10 minutes? And it's perfectly fine. And I went <laughs> and I show up in the lab and I walk in holding this gel box and the person's jaw dropped. And he says, um, do you know what a city of bromide is? Do you know that you're carrying a curse of, was that clean? And I completely, an ignoramus, like I'm walking around like a typhoid Mary with this toxic, toxic, you know, bath on my hands, you know? And yeah, so I, so yeah, you, you get shamed and you just have to become, learn to be comfortable saying, I don't know, I will get you an answer and then follow through on getting the answer. And as I said before, people in the lab are extremely uh, generous with their time and understanding. I learned so much about the business, just sitting and talking to people. Tell me what you do. You know, tell me, you know, why do you do it this way? Why do you do it? Why don't you do it that way? And people were more than happy. I don't think their PIs were happy that they were wasting their time talking to me, but they, you know, but they're very generous and, you know, they want to, want to share their science. So definitely learned so much on the job that, I, that, that I'd say there's that today, there's much, there's fewer and fewer things that people can say that, that I don't know something about. Um, but honesty, and being willing to say, I don't know, you know, has, has never, ever, you know, made, I've never had a lab manager say, 
weird idiot to get out of my lab. I've had them throw me out of my lab for other, for other reasons, but not because of, uh, you know, I lack the ability to answer on the spot. That's awesome. As always, curiosity is a superpower. Yeah. And I would like to reinforce that idea. Also, you get a, if you ask a scientist something, they, what, I mean, if they don't know, hopefully they say they don't know. But if you're asking them why they do something a certain way, there's no way they're not going to answer. I mean, right. they have to tell you. Like, that's in their DNA. It's like, right. Oh, I need to show you everything I know about this, right? right. So you and I had to talk. practice my, you know, not having that glassy eye and I'm lost already after the te after 10 seconds. Because <laughs> sometimes it was, you know, they would just dive deep into this is the receptor of this. And like, uh, what? Keep back up and start all over again. I lost you at high. <laughs> yeah. I still get that sometimes about certain things. Um, so last year, I mean, the last few years, hopefully it's getting better. Must yeah. have changed a few things for you. What did that, how did the pandemic affect your business? So, wow. Um, in, in so many ways that are, that are wonderful that we're, we're still uh, unpacking. Um, we, we had been primarily a regional brand. The goal was to be known from New Jersey down to Northern Virginia as, uh, you know, where we were hiring our outside sales reps where myself and my partner were um, engaging customers day-to-day -day in face-to-face, belly-to-belly conversations. Well, the pandemic shut that down. Um, and we, when we started the company, we knew having a website that was kind of, that was e-commerce e or retail friendly was going to be important to us, but the original, in the early days, the website was just about making life easier for customers to place orders. Um, it's just fast and accessible. But when universities and businesses shut down, it just turned out providentially that having a really well-designed and developed website made it easier for people around the country to find us. And so we, we've become a national brand with thousands of customers all over the United States biotech, pharma, military, high schools, college, community colleges, everybody has, 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 has found us because uh, the collapse of supply chain uh, forced them to go shopping elsewhere. Like, I, I lived in Miami right. Beach for many years, and I, you know, you, you, whenever a hurricane would be approaching, who, who shelves would empty a toilet paper and paper towels and water first? It was always the Targets, the Walmarts, the big guys. And though, and you know, you'd always find something, some supplies at the at the mom and pop store next you know, next door because they were relatively untouched and unknown. So people discovered us, and we were able to grow the sales team. Uh, we have um, we have three or four inside salespeople uh, currently. One's a specialized uh, freezer salesperson who are taking care of hundreds and hundreds of customers every week that are that are finding us and discovering that yes. These guys have a stellar name and a stellar reputation. They deliver on their promise. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's been a lot of, it's been a question of like, you know, just managing that growth and making sure that we, yeah. you know, we don't grow too fast, you know, to the point that we can't, we can't, you know, keep up with our promises um, and making sure that we continue to hire the right kind of people with the, with the right values that, uh, that communicate that level of care and compassion for, for our, for our customers that, that are important to us. Yeah. So my observation there is, you know, I always like to say every strength is a weakness in a different scenario and your 
I guess, I mean, your website was a strength to begin with. Now it's a real strength in a different right. environment where people have to shop more broadly. My next question is, I'm fascinated by that whole thing. Like, how do you manage not growing fast enough? One, it's got to be tempting to maybe overpromise a little bit and hope to figure it out. But also, um, you know, just how you think about, how do you hold back when people want stuff and then you have to say, well, we can't deliver all of that because hiring or whatever. So that, that, that is not, things have kind of gotten to a point now where we have, a, I think, a good balance of personnel to match the, the, the incoming demand. I mean, there's, there's still, there is still some excess demand and we're still in the process of hiring additional people. Um, but I think we, I think, I don't feel like we're, um, I don't feel like we're, we're, we're over our heads in that respect. During the early days of the pandemic, it was definitely like that though. It was, we, we didn't have enough people to, to meet the demand and there weren't enough supplies even so. At some point, right. uh, at some point, in the, e even our, our resources were, were, were tapped dry. Um, and you just had to keep looking for things, you know, in the toolbox and say, okay, I can't help with this, but I can help with that. And you, you pivot a little bit here that uh, we didn't, we didn't uh, fire our, our sales staff like some companies did initially where they thought, okay, forget it, you know, we're, we're closed. Or we didn't pivot into, um, you know, things that were, had no relationship to the, to the, to the company. I guess, I guess slight, I, I guess the, 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 the great, the biggest the biggest pivot that we made was getting into into masks and getting into selling um, antigen tests, which everybody was doing at at, at some point. Um, but um, but there, you know, the, the, the life science catalog is broad, and there were still constantly, you know, you, you just had to look for for opportunities in some areas of the, of the industry that were less less molecular focused, you know, if you will, or less vir virology focused. We worked a lot with cannabis labs. We work a lot with food companies, petroleum. So you know there there are there are little niches. Just keep finding you know, places during you know during during those days when it was just crazy to you know to keep keep bringing the money and keep taking care of people. Wow, yeah, that's a lot to figure out. I, yeah. I admire all that. That would be yeah, I would be over my head. So uh, what's next? What do you have a vision for? The company going forward, what do you, or growth continued, you know, continued growth, continue growing the, our, our catalog. Um, as we very, it was, it has always been very important for us to be perceived um, as a problem solver, not as just another guy, group of guys and gals with a catalog pushing lab supplies and product. If you go back and you look at the history of the, the companies that came to us first um, to have their products launched, um, there's a company called uh, Microgen, which is out of, of Virginia, makes a novel RNA DNA extraction platform. There's a company, another company out of Virginia called Cirillo, which makes a tiny microplate reader. Uh, there, there are. I did a blog post not too long ago on LinkedIn where we we, we ticked off a whole bunch of companies that that we were the first to market with, and and. It, I think because I have a big mouth on, on LinkedIn and I like telling stories, um, I think that's, a, that's, that's attractive to people. They, they know that their product is not going to get buried somewhere in the you know, back of a catalog. So um, 
as we continue to move forward, we're always looking for the next big problem solver, the thing that's going to make the, our customers' lives easier, better. Um, automation is now becoming a big thing, so we're getting more involved in products that are built around uh, automation. Um, you know, whether it's a liquid handlers, whether it's storage, decappers, readers, things of that nature. So there's 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 enormous potential to continue to to, to shadow and and grow in. And, and mature as a company so that, again, yes, we can sell you pipette tubes. Yes, we can sell you gloves and conical tubes and all the, all the you know, the day-to-day -day stuff. But we can, did you know we can also help you this way? Did you know we are also a great source of solutions in this aspect? And we always do it with fun. You know, there always has to be great swag. There always has, it always has to be a party, you know? Well, like, like we spend probably as much time as we do thinking up like which new products do we want to be introducing to the market or supporting the market with, but come out with crazy little things that we can send in the boxes together with, with, with to our customers that are going to delight and surprise them. And so, you know, as long as there are scientists engaged, you know, and struggling and burning the midnight oil and sleeping in labs, and I, maybe you know, they're big, I've seen cots, you know, in, in labs and I can identify with that. I just want to make that make their that person's life easier. I just want to make their, you know, want to make them had the journey be a better journey for them. So you know, when it comes to service, there's no there's no limit to growth, right? You can always improve. You can always make somebody's life a little bit better in in that respect. So I see, you know, I see us growing in terms of expanding the team, expanding the number of people who we can who we can help. Um, whether whether that's you know on the east coast, which is what the original dream had been, or whether that's coast to coast, I don't know. We'll just have to see where where people most resonate with our message and and and, and, and like working with us. Very cool, DJ Lowenstein. This has been a treat. I've learned a lot about sales. I just uh, and I just love the general attitude about making other people's lives easier. Whatever we're doing, whatever our job is, we should all be doing that. And yeah, thank you for chatting with me. Chris, thank you. It's great speaking with you, man. Thank you. My pleasure. And as always, thank you, dear listener, for hanging out. Please share it with your colleagues, and I will be back in a couple weeks with another episode. Bye-bye.